This is the Commercial Property Show Australia, show number 44. It's a freehold priced at 775000 and it's making the owners of that $133,000. It's got 42 sites, and that's on six and a half acres. Hey, commercial property community. How are we today? My name is Andrew Bean. Thank you for joining me, and in today's show... Michael Philpot from Tourism Brokers joins me for part two of the lucrative world of motels, hotels, and caravan parks. Yes, the tourism industry. Just looking at some of the numbers from a deal that he told me about, the deal was for $175,000, and you're looking at $133,000 net income. That's a 17% return. Like the numbers are ridiculous. So it needs to be investigated. If you are looking at trying to get an equivalent net income from an industrial investment at 6%, you'd have to spend $2,216,000 to get an equivalent net income. So the numbers are absolutely crazy. So you have to be looking at this. I know there is operational cost that's going to have to come out of that. You're either going to have to get staff or you're going to have to manage the business yourself because it is a business. But I see a huge opportunity there from this type of industry. And I know that I'm investigating this industry further and maybe you should too. All right, here it is. But first, one big announcement. CP Data is going live this week. I'm really, really excited and I'm absolutely blown away with all the interest that I've had in the platform. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And if you want to check it out, we are going live in one week. So the website is www.commercialpropertydata.com.au. I'm absolutely amazed with what my development team have produced for us. So it's going to be really cool. I hope to to see you guys all in there. Once again, the website is www.commercialpropertydata.com.au. We'll see you inside. Investing in commercial property is a lot like a team sport. You need a lot of good players around you to complete a property transaction. No one can do it alone. If you're like me and want to surround yourself with like-minded people who have similar property goals, people who motivate you and push you to achieve more, then come and join the commercial property community today. You can find our private group on Facebook by searching Commercial Property Show Community or you can click on the link in the show notes. Our expert guests are just waiting to answer your questions in the forum and together we can help each other reach the ultimate goal of financial freedom. Returning to the show is Tourism Brokers, Michael Philpot. How you doing, mate? Yeah, good, Andrew. Going very well. Excellent, buddy. Great to have you on the show again. 
So, mate, in terms of like future proofing or future COVID proofing a motel or, or a caravan park, I was thinking that because, you know, obviously some caravan parks have permanent stays and they have a tourism portion to their business. In a motel, is there any period of time that you're only allowed to stay? Can you just stay there indefinitely forever if you want to? Like, is there any kind of rules like that? Look, you can stay indefinitely, but during some of the lockdowns, like Yes and those locations or some of the metropolitan areas or wherever there's a lockdown traditionally, they're only allowed that in the way of tourism, in the way of accommodation providers, to deal with essential services and take those bookings. Right. But as we're getting more and more people vaccinated, a lot of those restrictions will come away. And then it's a matter of dealing on a case-by-case basis if there's a COVID infection or a, that going forward. But as we're coming out in the vaccinated world, it'll be quite different. But the you can stay at a caravan park and you can stay at a, a uh, motel for the majority of them however long you like. Council has a restriction that requires most of the tourism facilities to have three-month bookings and then go away for a night and then you can come back again. But that's really not enforced. It's just a commercial arrangement that you're entering into with the parties. There are caravan parks that are designed to be tourism facilities, but they've got some permanence in place. Then you've got others that are proper manufactured home estates where they've got 90-year leases in place. There's varying arrangements within the marketplace. But, yes, you can stay as long as you like at any of the properties, as long as you're prepared to pay for it. Yeah. I mean, I think that possibly going forward that more caravan parks definitely will start looking at having a permanent portion to cover that. Well, what if there's another lockdown somewhere? So you're still having that that revenue come in just to keep us going, you know, keeping the lights on. Risk minimisation, yeah, that's right. The ones that had it, they're going to come through squeaky clean. The ones that didn't have it, they've been attempting to minimise their operational costs, but they'll trade through. Some of them, time has beaten them, in which case they need to sell regardless of what the situation is. But it's horses for courses. Ultimately, the chances of more lockdowns is being diminished significantly. We've still got to get through the one that we're in with the high level of vaccinations and that that are happening, unless there's another pandemic that comes through. We've just got to work with what we've got. The chances of major lockdowns are going to be minimal. There might be a a spot lockdown occasionally, depending on the number of cases, but that's going to be dictated more by the variants than anything else. The vast majority of the businesses will return to business as usual and business as normal. Yeah, we can only uh, hope and pray. Yes. Um, That'll be very, very good. So, mate, in terms of like a return for a motel and a caravan park, if I just kind of kind of hear that to like commercial assets right now, kind of like the magic number now is you, you need to be getting a 6% return, 6%, a 6 cap when you're purchasing a property. In terms of motels and caravan parks, what's, what's a good return? What are you actually shooting for? We've seen sales down in Victoria of leased investments. And if they're in prime positions that have got a higher use in place and redevelopment opportunities, well, then they go lower. But we've been selling stuff anywhere from 5% north. The traditional stuff would normally start around 75 8 If it's older stock, it might be 85 to 9 If it's in very remote locations, then you can still get your 10 to 11%, but that pulls it up. When you're looking at operational caravan parks, they'll be anywhere from that five up to the 15. 
But when you're looking at doing things called splits, which is selling off a lease and selling off the investment, that traditionally is triggered by the asset returning around 15%. At 15%, you can easily sell a lease off and get an operator in there, and then you'll easily sell the investment off, and it generates more money for the freehold owner than if they were to sell it at 15% or higher. The higher the return, the lower the price. Then it just comes back to the highest and best use for the property, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of you're buying a freehold, you're looking at in terms of like, say, even 5% to up to, to 12 to 15% cap rate, depending on the location. And then in yeah. terms of like... If you're going to buy it as an owner-occupier, then you can buy properties from $400,000 upwards. And some of them will be well below replacement value. But what yeah. you're attempting to do is borrow the maximum that you can, work on the cash flow that you've got in the way of a maximum amount. The ideal that we like to get people to start with is a cash flow that generates around $200,000 to them or higher. From that, they can then service it. And from that, it opens up the small business concessions, the freeholds, the adding values. But the returns are relative to the price, are relative to the risk and the location of the property. And that's why it will range depending upon where they want to be. Okay. And then in terms of like, say, if you're just buying a leasehold, that's actually just running the business. What percentage should you be shooting for there? We've sold some caravan park leases around um, 18 to 20% up to 50% returns. Right. Okay. The 18 or 20% have got really long leases. They own a lot of the cabins. They own a lot of infrastructure. And they've got the ability to add some value. The high return stuff is primarily in Western areas remote locations where a lot of people don't want to go and it's the incentive to get people in there. It's very much the rule of the coast is for show and the country's for dough. If you want to earn really good money and get ahead very quickly, then traditionally you go into the country locations and work your way back in. And that's why if you're working on your returns, do you want to earn $65 an hour or for the same amount that you pay, do you want to earn $185 an hour? That's the difference between it. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. So, mate, I believe that you've brought um, one of your good listings for us today to talk about on the show. There's a couple of options that are there. The one that I've got is it's an exception as opposed to the norm. I'll touch on a couple of them if you like. We've got one that's on the market at the moment. It's a freehold and priced at $775,000. And it's making the owners of that $133,000. And that's on six and a half acres. It's got 42 sites. And it's Kiwi Parks as the chain member that they work through. A highway location with a two-bedroom residence area and cabins and that that's there. That's a bit of a guide. That's a starter property at 775 Then we've got one that's inland in Queensland that's turning over just shy of 600000 it's netting around 400,000 and it's on the market at uh, 1.75 mil. And for that, it's on five and a half acres. So similar sort of size to the other, but this one's got 27 vans, six campsites, 20 cabins and a, a unit, as well as a, a large residence and uh, manager's accommodation or an additional one bedroom area off the side. It's got a strong cash flow that's with it. But you're talking about a freehold showing a 23% return. 
Yeah. Which is traditionally where you might pick up a lease. Yeah. And so in that um that return, that's a gross return, is it not a net return, right? That's after all your operational costs are taken out, but okay. before you as the operator have received any income, but you've lived out of the business, and before you as the operator have actually paid the business, as in paid the bank back for loans. Yeah. So that's the, the net income that coming out. Yeah, so that's the net income. So it's it's in the yeah. net figure. That's what we want to use. No, I mean, some of those deals, the numbers are like crazy compared to some of the things that are getting sold now. Like I'm sure you're aware that there's a low amount of stock available, good stock for industrial especially, and things that are flying off the shelves at very, very low cap rates. You know, even things that you're like, wow, I can't believe that's sold so low. A lot of the, the stuff that's going through, the owner-occupiers are in there. They can flick it into their superannuation funds and the like. But a lot of the, the returns are investment returns. But there's a fair bit of risk with that stuff as well, because if you're buying strata title, that can be really high risk when it comes to commercial and industrial, because you've got a business where you're leasing out the premises, you've got four walls, and then dependent upon a tenant coming in there and paying you the rental, and those four walls, they own everything in between it. There's nothing stopping them defaulting on the lease or moving next door and opening up again tomorrow. When it comes to motels and caravan parks and the like, because it's specialist accommodation, you can't take the bathrooms, you can't take the vans and you can't take the other bits and pieces with you. But, you know, they're not in the middle of town necessarily. They're a little bit on the fringe. So there's a little bit more risk involved. So the returns are a little bit higher when it comes to pandemic situations and where we've been now, cash flows are fairly constant. And they're a pretty safe investment. And that's why from my portfolio mix, I started off in residential because I didn't know much else. Then I jumped into commercial and had a couple of shopping centres and other bits and pieces. And then I got a bit stale in that. And then we moved into tourism. And tourism's Mm. a good diversified mix, but allows you to consolidate the sites, get involved and do a bit of development on the site. Like if you can pick up caravan parks and get some approvals in place and run the business and then get an approval in place and selling your land off to the likes of Bunnings or some of the other operators or redevelopment sites, you know, the profits in those are pretty good. Yeah, I can imagine they would be. So, mate, that first property that you mentioned, it was around the $700,000 mark. How much money would we need to, to get into that? To buy a lease, the banks are lending. When we first went into COVID, the banks went into a panic mode and then they stopped lending for the tourism accommodation sector. Mm-hmm. But now they're back into it and they're back into it with vigour. So a lease operation, they will lend you 50% of the purchase price. And for freeholds, they'll lend you 60% fairly comfortably. Then they do the serviceability tests based upon the income that's there. Then they'll sit down with you and your business plan and say, well, okay, what are you going to do? Are you going to grow the business? How are you going to grow it? Where are you going to add some value? And how are you going to fund that? And that's the big picture that they take into account. And when um, you're speaking to the clients and things that you're bringing through and selling these properties to, do you suggest that they go directly to the bank and deal with the bank themselves or would to give that business plan? Or would you go through a mortgage broker still and then they will help you present the business plan? Look, that was an interesting question. <laughs> Pre-COVID, we sent everything via brokers because they know what they're on about. They were doing the deals. They do it time and time again. And then they've got the rapport with the banks and the credit sections They've got templates in the way of business plans and everything else that we're through. When the banks closed up the doors for the tourism sector, we were still selling. And we were selling to mum and dads that had other assets 
and they were still borrowing because they had relationships with local managers. And whereas the brokers that we were dealing with weren't able to get the funds, we still got a fair volume of sales through because the local managers had the rapport with the people and they were borrowing against houses and other assets and they were still getting access to the funds to be able to do the sales. Now it's turned, the banks are using or sticking with the brokers again. So we're getting into business plans, we're getting into going out to tender to get the best possible deal for their clients. Like there's a couple of big four banks that were floating around. One of them would, on a deal, would do a 3% interest rate and they might give you interest only for a couple of years as part of the package and give you a 15 to 20 year facility. There's another big bank that was floating around saying that they were back into the marketplace. They were back into the marketplace, all right, but they'd give you a 10-year facility. They'd start off your interest rates at 9%, and then they had handling fees and everything else that's through. Unless you go out and use the brokers, you don't know if you're getting touched. If you've got a rapport with an existing bank manager and they're lending you stuff on residential terms, and if it's got a two or a three in it, it's not bad money. If it's got a nine or a 10 in it, you're thinking, oh, really? And that's where brokers can save you a lot of money because they help you with FBOS machines. They help you with going out to tender and it's the complete package. It's the it's the line fees if you're getting into the larger money. It's the annual management fees and other hidden fees that come into play. They look at the bottom line. And because they're specialists in that area, they are paid by the banks for the business, but it actually competing with all the banks going from one to the other. Yeah, that's right. So, mate, I remember you said something about this property that we're talking about, the first one, that it goes through a chain. Can you just explain how that works? Look, this one's a, a, a very low-cost marketing group more than anything else, and there's not many people that would have heard of it, really, but it helps with economies of scale. There's a large number of independents out there, a smaller number, but a strong number of properties that have actually gone in and they're using the branding and the franchising groups to assist them with purchasing, to assist them with front office systems, to assist them with marketing and brand presentation. The the groups themselves basically are, they've got the websites and the links and they try and coordinate the services. QE Parks, which is this particular group, is just a, a small group that assists on the marketing. There are communication groups, so you've got a network of like-minded individuals that are part of it, and they're just working through at the very basic level. Then you've got other groups that get involved and have training, quality accreditation, have systems, have suppliers that they work with that give discounts and have um, loyalty programs in place to get a number of guests to come through and continually stay with you, those sorts of things. So it's horses for courses, and it comes back to the value of the asset and how much business those organisations bring in relative to the cost. There's some franchises out there that might cost you in the motel sector, and certainly the same applies in the caravan park sector, but say, for example, they might cost you 50000 or 52000 or $1,000 a week in the way of franchise fees. Some of them might bring in $150,000 worth of business. They're good ones. Others might bring in $30,000 worth of business, but the owners don't keep an eye on the costs and don't identify it and can't evaluate whether or not it's worthwhile to keep the franchise or not. That's why you'll 
often on a changeover, you may see a business have a branding and a name, and when it's sold, that branding may go. What we suggest to people when they're buying businesses or buying properties is that you're making a commercial decision based upon what you're buying at the time. You've made the assessment, you've looked at the cash flow, you've looked at the returns, now you need a breather. You need at least six months to get your feet under the table, understand the operations, get comfortable with it, and then do some minor tweaking on the edge. So in that initial six months, we suggest to people that they do nothing more than stick to the system, stick with the existing operations, and stick with the existing franchises. On the point of transfer, they don't sign up for a new 10 or a 15-year commitment they take over an assignment of the existing and hopefully they've got an option to either stick with it or not stick with it. But when you're buying into this sector, if you're an owner-operator, you're wanting to add value. The only way that you can add value is to identify where you're going to add value and plan for it and fund it. That's why traditionally you need that initial period to get that organised. Yeah, fair enough. So I guess it's a case-by-case. Not all of them have chains, I guess. With my properties... I started off with chains and I dropped chains on all of them because I didn't believe in the value, but I knew what I was doing and we were able to do the the marketing and distribution and have the systems in place. There's a lot of other people out there that come in that don't know what they're doing and they're wanting to learn. And that's part of the resource of groups and buying groups. When you're getting into motels, there's a lot of motels that have got agreements in place with government organisations or other organisations and they're the preferred suppliers, so they actually bring those people to the property. It's really, you've got to look at it on a case-by-case. What are you buying? Where's their business come from? What's the business that's coming to the town? How do you add value along the way? That's from the operator's perspective. From the investor's perspective, they're looking at it. Is the tenant doing all right? Can they pay their bills? And is there a likelihood that there's going to be any issue where they're not going to be in a position to pay their bills in the future? And provided all of those things are in place, these are very much set and forget investments and very safe businesses if you do your due diligence well. That's the key, understanding what you're doing and doing the right checks. I've got one one kind of question for kind of the past. So in terms of like motels in Caravan Park, say I had had a motel, it's exactly the same motel, same income. Ten years ago, would I be valuing it using the same cap rate or would it has the cap rate actually contracted in the last 10 years? Where have the cap rates been in, and gone since then? Cap rates are directly influenced by the return on the properties, yep. supply and demand and the availability. And this is the key one, the availability of funds. So if you go back to the late 80s or early 90s, when we had 21% interest rates, on residential housing or when we had the Paul Keating scenario of the recession we had to have, Mm. those sorts of scenarios, interest rates were quite high, cap rates were quite high, business returns were quite high. Now we've got basically zero interest rates. We can borrow funds at 3%, so cap rates have come back. When we were borrowing funds at 8%, cap rates weren't that much higher. You might have been buying investment properties 11 12% as opposed to where they are now. And operational businesses, they might have been 24 to 30% or thereabouts. But now with the interest rates being so low, it's all about the returns and people making commercial decisions. Generally, if interest rates are low, then all cap rates in all sectors of all markets 
will come down yep. because it, it increases the demand because there's more money that's available in the way of supply and you can service the loans. Does that give you a bit of that, an yeah, answer that, to your question? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It makes sense. I just wanted to, because I don't know any kind of resource where I could look at what motels were trading at. If I looked exactly the same motel, I guess you could kind of figure it out if you could figure, find a listing, find what it sold for and what the revenue was at the time. And then if it sold again today, you could figure it out. But it wasn't sure of how they have moved, if they've uh, come down or, or gone up. But it sounds like they've tightened due to interest rates lowering. And it's obviously been good for good for investing. Oh, absolutely. That's right. It hasn't all been rosy either. That's why you're buying motels below replacement value. There's not many new motels being built because the cost of building the motels is prohibitive. Most motels, to make them work, they'll cost you around $120,000 a unit. By the time you do your operational cost, you throw in a million dollars for a, a restaurant. You throw in three or four hundred thousand dollars for a commercial kitchen. You know, you then throw in an extra four or five hundred thousand dollars for a residence. And then you've got a bit of land. You throw in a hundred thousand dollars for the pool. It's pretty easy to spend a few million dollars. Yeah. And to get that back, you traditionally need a hundred and seventy dollars a night, excluding GST. So that's around a hundred and eighty. What is it? Hundred and eighty-seven dollars, nearly hundred and ninety bucks a night in the way of a tariff. And break-even point for new properties is around 75% in the way of occupancy at that level. Now, they don't achieve it. So that's why the properties that you're buying when it, relative to motels, they're older-style properties and they're well below replacement value. And it's only when you're getting into mining booms or extraordinary situations do the motels really work in the way of high occupancies. Because of that situation, because a lot of the coastal motels were on land, they became land bankers. And the mm. land that they're on were then, was then purchased by developers. They were knocked over and then unit blocks went on there. And then because the unit blocks went on there, someone had to handle the accommodation, the cleaning and the marketing and everything else. And that was the creation of management rights. And that's why you'll see management rights up and down the coast, because it's all about the land value. And that's what you've got to take into account when you're buying properties. If you're chasing returns, you'll get the higher returns inland, which give you the cash flow and the ability to spend it in today's dollars. But you're not going to get much in the way of asset growth out in those country locations. But using that cash flow, you can buy assets that are going to grow along the way. If you're buying along the coast, you're going to buy a far lower return because developers and a number of other people are coming through and looking at the land and they're buying the, the properties based upon the land because of the alternative use. The best part is to try and get that happy medium because developers are not land bankers. They want to get in, they want to do the development and then go to the next one. Yeah, if you're in a situation where you're a land banker, where you've got the business and you've got an asset underneath that will allow a developer time and they're buying that time to get their approvals in place, then you can double or triple the price of that asset very quickly because it's a win-win all around. That's the sort of stuff that happens along the coast. But inland, you're working it on the returns, but the benefit of the returns and the benefit of the depreciation means that you can earn really good money, not pay tax on it, pay off your loan, get ahead very quickly, 
have the equity behind you, have the capacity to show the banks that you can get ahead very quickly. Then using the small business concessions, you can sell that business and roll it into the next business and buy something along the coast. But all of a sudden, you've gone from having $150,000 to $1.5 million as a deposit. And when you're at that level, it opens up a plethora of opportunities. So that's why we work on inland for dough. The coast is for show, but most people start and we suggest that they move inland to earn the money. And then as they get older, they then move back along the coast. Or if they want to stay on the coast, they look at management rights, which we also sell. But the property values are so expensive and often so prohibitive for people to actually get a start in the industry. That's the key part. It's all about what you've got, how you get ahead and what it's going to cost you in the way of interest and funds and how much the banks will lend you. Geez, if I could find a bank that would lend me $20 million tomorrow, I'd go out and borrow it. It's all about what you can do with the funds. Because if you can get a 1% return on a $20 million investment, that's not bad money. Yeah, you do it all. You haven't got to do anything. (laughs) Yeah, so I guess what I'm hearing you saying is the inland properties, you have to rely on the forced depreciation if you want to add value to it, you know, improving the property, implementing dynamic pricing and being a better actual manager. But then on the, the coastal properties, you do have that capital growth kind of play. The market conditions do help you as well, as well as having a good business in it as well. But I've learned through experience, mate, you can't land bank everything, but if yep. you've got money in your pocket, you can buy something. Yeah, totally agree, mate. It's all about that cash flow. And if you've got the cash flow that's there and you've got a good quality of life, you can afford to pay for staff to do things. There's plenty of people that are asset rich that are cash flow poor. It's not a good life. You're after that happy medium. And that's why you've got to look at it and say, on your circumstances, what's best for you and why? But to get ahead and get ahead very quickly, if you go inland and then you go along the coast, that's going to be the happy medium. Yep, I definitely agree, mate. All right, well, um, mate, today's been an absolute excellent interview, a wealth of knowledge as always. Last question, any bold predictions for the next 12 months in the tourism sector? Mate, the tourism sector is going to, to bolt and it's going to get ahead and it's going to have extremely high occupancies and it's going to work. And when the, the international borders open, it's going to be game on. But when it comes to the residential sector and other areas, The question marks out there because we've still got a false economy where there's so much government stimulus that's going into the marketplace. We're having units in that built. We're having country locations in that there, but we still haven't got that migration that's coming through in the relation to price growth. But when it comes to people coming out here for holidays, the pent-up demand out of Sydney and Melbourne for holidays and the lockdowns, There's going to be some serious money made by a lot of people in the tourism sector as we get through. A lot of the ones that have been carrying it up until now have had a fair bit of pain, and they're the ones that are selling because age has beaten them. This is really an opportunity for a changing of the guard and for people to get ahead very quickly and set themselves up for retirement because we're just about to go through an accommodation and tourism boom. It definitely sounds like it. So, mate, where can listeners go to find out more about yourself and obviously your company? We've got two sites. We've got www.tourismbrokers.com.au. And if you're wanting more along the coast, we've got www.mrsales.com.au. So it's Tourism Brokers or MR Sales. Mr. Sales is management rights along the coast. 
and tourism brokers at the hotels, motels, caravan parks and redevelopment sites Australia-wide. Perfect, mate. My guest today has been Michael Philpot. Cheers, buddy. Thanks, mate. Take care. Enjoy. All right, that brings us to the end of our show. Thank you to Michael Philpot from Tourism Brokers and Kevin McLeod for the music. And remember, in the words of Grant Cardone, success is your duty, obligation, and responsibility. I'm Andrew Bean, signing off. This has been a Developer Life production. <laughs>